0: Hey there, it's Jerry from Knock Off Your Shit. Sam and I have missed you, and we hope that you are doing as well as possible during quarantine. It's our sincere wish that you and your families are safe and healthy. I want you to know that we are changing up the podcast. We're making it less produced, less formal, less organized, but more natural and organic and topical. I sort of took a perfectionist approach to producing the show and I found that that really allowed me to produce about one episode a year, (laughs) given the demands of life. So we're changing things up. It's our hope that we're going to be bringing you more frequent episodes and that they will be more relevant and more timely as well. So wherever you get your podcasts, please subscribe, send us a positive review, engage with us. Let us know what you like about the show. Are there topics you'd like us to explore? We really want to create a dialogue with you through the show, so reach out to us, send us a review, share it with your friends, but for now, sit back and listen to a family meeting that Sam and I have about a family member that doesn't get a lot of attention or honest discussion. Depression. Sam. Jerry. How are you doing, sweetheart?
1: Hi. I'm good. How are you, dear one? I'm good. I'm good.
0: It's a strange time, but I'm good. I'm, um... Yeah. You know, we're, what is this, week three into quarantine?
1: Yeah. God. How are you holding up?
0: I'm good. Um, I'm doing pretty well. I mean, certainly there are moments and there are times, even with all my PhD coaching stuff, and even with all my techniques and stuff, like, there are moments where you just go, this is fucking nuts. Mm-hmm. this is a crazy mm-hmm. time yeah yeah but i'm doing well it's just a, it's a really wild time to be alive and to be witnessing and participating in like a cultural experience that transcends all boundaries economic boundaries mm-hmm. racial boundaries geographical boundaries all yeah. of the things that we created is like these are these make us separate this cuts through all of that bullshit and in a way that mm-hmm. can be it's a really powerful shared cultural experience we don't have a lot of those the DMV, I guess. Yeah. What else do we like all go through? <laughs> <laughs> you know?
1: No, nothing. Nothing is as painful as the DMV line. Oh. That's that's all I got to say. <laughs> right.
0: I think I would rather be in an ICU. No, I'm kidding. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a wild time, but um, I'm doing well. I'm super busy. I am seeing a lot of clients virtually and uh people are struggling and it's part of why we're having this conversation today
1: what are we going to have a conversation about are we going to talk about man flow yoga because i know that <laughs> you were showing me that you've been doing some man flow yoga and like watching flow these... yoga you yeah. were watching these sexy hunks do some shavasana on a babbling well, brook uh, okay so... let me
0: tell you let me tell you listen is that what this is about <laughs> if you're male and you need an exercise routine to do because you can't get to the gym, man flow yoga is the thing. So I used to do yoga years ago. I haven't really done it. I mean, I do child's pose, and I do down dog and stuff. But I started taking yoga up more seriously with man flow yoga, and it's yoga for men.
1: On their and periods. I... It's for yoga for men who yes. are man man-stra- Yes, I've always thought that men, men have periods too, and this is just we... confirmation of that. Man, we totally,
0: <laughs> we totally, we totally have like hormonal cycles. We just don't have physical manifestations of them in the same way. And
1: you just don't have a diva cup. You don't is have it? a diva, diva oh, no, cup.
0: I, I'm, I'm sitting on my diva cup right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you. That, that diva cup is actually our sponsor today. So thanks, <laughs> thanks, diva cup.
0: It's you can called- empty.
1: You can empty your flow at a Chili's restaurant. Thanks, Devo Cup.
0: At a Chili's? I am literally wearing... Mine is called a Devo Cup, and it's shaped <laughs> like the hats in that Whippet video. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so,
1: Jerry, what are we talking about today? I'm sorry. Well, I just it's... had a second cup of coffee because I... <laughs> Who cares? I I mean, right? <laughs> what? Do you, yeah. What else am I going to do? What's the
0: problem with being over caffeinated? You can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. <laughs> I want to feel anxious. I'm going to fucking do it. <laughs> we are talking as silly as this intro was because it's you and me. We're talking about depression.
1: Fun. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be a real (laughs) feel—the feel-good episode of our three-episode season. Um,
1: Actually, we don't even have our second season out yet. I mean, second episode out yet.
0: I'm Uh, I'm not gonna point any fingers. I'm working on it. And listener, listen, I went—I made a mistake. I went into this podcast thing thinking I could do it all myself, which is part of my work, and I'm working on it. I'm looking at it. (laughs) But I thought I
1: could do it all myself. Are you looking? Are you looking at your room behind you? Because it's a fucking dump.
0: Listen, listen, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> it is a fucking dump. But this is not an audio. This is not a video podcast. <laughs> but we're, ta- we're telling the compassionate truth today. That was the truth, Sam. Let me ask you. Was it compassionate?
1: Um, I thought it was pretty compassionate Because I'm calling you out on that dumpster fire Behind you Why don't you stick
0: your finger in that fucking fuse panel above your head And see, see how compassionate that is Was that compassionate, bitch? I don't know, let's find out um,
1: Okay, let's talk about depression Come on, God
0: So here, here's the thing
1: If I wasn't depressed before this podcast, I am now God
0: Look, this is why we're talking about it Depression. I have been trying to write a series of blog articles on my website for 44 years or so. (laughs) And, um, you know, it's challenging. And so I thought maybe we just talk it through. Maybe two people that have experienced depression have a really honest conversation about it.
1: Yeah, let's get real. Yeah. Uh, And by the way, what is your website, Jerry?
0: It's quantumtransformation.coach. Thank you for asking.
1: Oh, okay. I yeah. was just curious.
0: Thank you, Jerry. Of course. I'm happy to satisfy your pure curiosity about that.
1: It was. It was natural and curious.
0: It was so organic and unplanned.
1: And now, a let's talk about depression. <laughs> <laughs> we already had a word from our sponsor. Thanks, Diva Cup. The Diva now- Cup. <laughs> How do we even begin to dive into a conversation about depression? Where do you start
0: from there? Oh my gosh! Well, I just want to say that I think right now a lot of people are confronting depression. Yeah, in a way that is inescapable because the nature of depression is it's a it's a disorder in some ways. It's a disorder of self focus, and we have nothing but self focus. Many of us are stuck at home. We're not going to our jobs. We can't see our friends. We can't see our partners. We can't have the usual amount of distractions that typically preempt looking at this. And right now we're Mm -hmm. sitting in it, a lot of us. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: It's inescapable. And so, you know, I I don't know that I have a huge, super organized agenda to talk about. And I think that was one of the flaws of my going into the podcasting process with you in the first place is that, you know, I, I don't. I can't be a content creator and a producer and an editor and a marketer and all those things. So maybe a more informal just conversation between friends who love each other and have experienced these things is the way to go.
1: I love that. Well, I have an idea. Why don't we talk about how you coached me earlier this week in when I was experiencing depression? Sure. Sure. I'm, I'm totally willing to talk about it because I think that, the thing is, is a lot of us are ashamed to talk about it. Yes. Yeah. And there's like this, this shame around experiencing it. Yes. When in fact, like after working with you and after you've coached me through my lows is like, it's part of the human experience. Oh and my like gosh, yes. once, once, once you kind of reframed my thoughts about my cycles with depression, like You know, it's, it's helped me tremendously because I thought that I was other, I thought that I was different Mm -hmm. than everybody else. And that there was something wrong with me when I experienced a day or a week or a month of depression. And that's why it got worse is because I, there's so much shame, um, attached to it. Yeah. Um, But once I've been able to be authentic in it and tell people, yeah, I'm experiencing that today. And how you've also helped me with reframing, not identifying with it. So not saying I'm depressed. Right. But
0: I I'm have. Ex-
1: I a part of me is experiencing this. Right. Um, or I'm yeah, I'm having this happen. Um yeah. where you detach from the identity yeah. has helped me a lot with it.
0: Yeah. That is huge. That is so huge. And it's sort of a master reframe on depression, on anxiety on a lot of these states that we identify as problems like yeah i am depressed that occurs at the level of our identity and it is a creation for spiritual people out there that believe that words have power i am depressed or i am a depressed person is a creation and it's a creation spiritually but it's also a way of framing it for ourselves that says I am that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I totally understand that because I want to be really clear. Like I've been producing EFT videos for YouTube right now to help people deal with issues coming up in quarantine and everything. What's uh,
1: what's EFT stand for? If those that don't know what EFT is.
0: Yeah. EFT stands for emotional freedom technique. Mm-hmm. And it is a self healing tool that you can use Against a huge variety of issues, physical pain, physical symptoms, emotional and mental symptoms. It's a very powerful and versatile tool. And I decided to do a series of videos on YouTube. Clients have been asking me, friends have been telling me, you need to get on YouTube. And I'm like, nah, that's for the millennials. That's for the kids. (laughs) But I finally took their advice and I, I realized there's a need. People are suffering. What can I do? So I'm so
1: glad you decided to put those videos up because I watch them every morning, even though I will be honest, I had a resistance to tapping.
0: Yes. And that's part of what we're going to talk about today in the context of this discussion about depression. I want to talk about that resistance because that too is universal. Mm -hmm. That too is a part of this constellation of things that we call depression. I want to talk about that, but we'll put a pin in that for now. We'll put a Pinterest in that. See, look at me. I'm being so hip.
1: Oh, my Um, God. You're such a millennial. It's so now, you guys. If you didn't tell me that you were 44 years old earlier in the episode, I would have been like, dang.
0: Yes, I am 44. This is what 44 looks like.
1: (laughs) One sexy palindrome.
0: Well, it looks, um, it looks probably rougher than normal. Cause I shaved my head because apparently that's what you do when you're in quarantine.
1: Uh, yeah, um, I almost did that as well because I had mother effing head lice. Oh How God! do you get head lice in social isolation? Yeah, Leave that it to actually, Sam. that was, <laughs> it's going to be the title of my memoir. And also that was actually something that happened that led me to my state of depression. And that's when I called you. Yeah. It's when I was looking in the mirror with this headlight solution, <laughs> I, uh, uh, you know, work had been canceled. I don't know when I'm going to be employed again for a while. It was like all of these like whammies and yeah. like the final freaking nail in the coffin was I have head lice. And so I had to like <laughs> sit in that funk and not, and also like all of your stuff comes up in during this yes. time.
0: Oh my god. And
1: yes. so you were really there for me and coaching me through that because it's like a, a lot of us that are extroverts are used to um suppressing yeah our our stuff because you know we're doers. Oh, I'm yeah. just going to distract my distract myself with work, distract myself with friends or drinking or and and doing and doing and doing that when we're finally invited to be Mm-hmm. and rest is like it can be so overwhelming of all the things that come up and yeah. that's what I was experiencing
0: yeah I tweeted recently the most addictive drug is depression and right now it's in short supply mm. which means that wow you, you tweet
1: too <laughs> well, he does yeah. it all
0: folks yeah I sent <laughs> waters I sent waters. Um, <laughs> What that means is we didn't become depressed because we're in social isolation. The social isolation is revealing to us that we have been running from what is already there and has been, Mm. and we are now forced to sit with it. And that's good.
1: Mm. Yeah,
0: it sucks. And, but how,
1: but how, sorry, go ahead.
0: Well, something that struck me about it is as a person that does the kind of work that I do with people. And helping them become free of these non-useful trances, like depression, like anxiety, like I can't do it.
1: Well, how do you describe a trance? Because a lot of people don't know what that is.
0: I'm glad you asked me that, Sam. So, I'm a hypnotist. And people will often ask me, are you going to hypnotize me? Oh, are you going to hypnotize me? Oh, you think you can hypnotize me?
1: Oh, I'm going to act like a chicken. Bop, bop, bop. Burf, burf, burf. <laughs>
0: and... And I understand that. And they almost say it in a way that's either scared or competitive. Like, I'm scared that you're going to take control of me, or I'm going to compete with you and show you that my mind is stronger than your mind. And both of those frames are not useful frames for me, for the work that I do, because it's not about taking control of someone. It's about helping them take control for themselves of their own operating system, their own mental, emotional, and physical operating system. And no. I don't do a whole ton of active trance work where I put somebody into hypnotic trances because, and this is what I tell people, no, I'm not going to hypnotize you. I'm going to deprogram you from the trances that you are already in. Yeah. And that's really more what I'm doing. And that's why sometimes people ask me, what do you do? And I say, I'm a matrix whisperer. (laughs) Which was my, yeah. (laughs) you're neo and i'm morpheus i want to unplug you
1: no you're the oracle (laughs) i (laughs) jerry your homework i can certainly be that
0: maddening (laughs) i can certainly be that crazy sometimes
1: you gave me the homework assignment the other night to watch the matrix and i did that and it was just it's you told me it's like a documentary because we're all in our um trances and not even aware that we're walking around with these stories in our head about the world and ourselves. And, yes. and so that's what I appreciate about your work is that you wake me up from those narratives that run me. And, yeah. and you know, and that's when I usually get depressed is when I'm believing a story that's not true about myself. Yeah. Um, and my big one, my big trance that I was in recently was that I have nothing to offer. I don't have a purpose right now. And because mm. I've built my life around, mm. you know, helping others and oh my you know God. and and putting my self worth and purpose into helping others. So without that, I'm nothing. I'm not, you know, right. worth. I'm worthless. And so I was believing right. that narrative of uh unworthiness. And so you had yeah. to you help me like break that trance and be like, that's not true.
0: Yeah, and that's a lot of what I do is First of all, the notion, if anybody listening knows, Sam, you, you know what a light she is. You know what a light you are. Aww. And that your thank whole you. life is about helping people. And Aww, I think that's you. a value that we both share. And so, but here's the thing about these trances is that they have no relationship to the truth. <laughs> they have mm. no relationship to reality. And I'm doing bunny finger quotes <laughs> because... Reality is such a joke like it's consensus reality we have agreed this is reality but when we really look at what we can know about it there's not a whole lot we can actually know mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. but th- that's the that's what makes these trances these these non useful trances like depression so powerful and so insidious is that they aren't actually related to reality but when you're inside them when you're neo stuck in that matrix You cannot see another truth. And that is what I mean by non-useful trances is a trance is sort of like, imagine there's a force field around you that bends reality, it bends light so that you only see things that match the rules of that
1: trance. Yeah.
0: And the analogy that I use for this that I've used many times to many people's great irritation is... (laughs) If you've, sh- you've ever shopped for a car, mm-hmm. what happens when you decide that you're going to buy this or that car? What happens when you decide you're going to buy a Toyota Camry?
1: Uh, mine's actually a uh, uh, Volvo, a station wagon Volvo. Uh, okay. You end- Number
0: one, missing the point.
1: Uh, you, end up, <laughs> you end up seeing that car everywhere. Yes. Um, yeah.
0: Literally, it shapes your consciousness mm-hmm. to notice things. That match what you're holding inside, yeah. And what you're holding inside is a story, and it can be as simple as Volvo station wagon. It can be as simple as Honda Accord.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It can be as deep and and dark as a
1: Prius. Uh, yeah.
0: As a Prius, <laughs> it can be. Because we can't stand them. As... Uh huh.
1: Prius drivers exactly. my obnoxious.
0: Fian- my fiance drives a Prius. Uh, um, how long have you been
1: <laughs> engaged? Uh, I'm sorry. <gasps> but yeah
0: this episode is not about relationships but thank you so much for telling the compassionate fucking truth <laughs> that's another um, episode listen uh, okay marriages are falling apart at record rates right now and you want me to get into
1: so one? is that living room whatever room you're in right now <laughs> looks like an episode of like a hoarder special
0: i need to do laundry <laughs>
1: Yeah, because you got your shorts all sweaty from that man flow yoga.
0: Uh, You're not kidding.
1: Oh, oh my God. It's hot in here. Ladies and gentlemen, the sun is coming. ladies and gentlemen, I'm seeing Jerry and his tidy whities with those cantaloupe balls hanging out. <laughs> oh, great. Now I'm depressed.
0: Uh, you want to fuck me? Oh, i fuck me. All right. Sorry for the obligatory silence of the lambs reference. Um, <laughs> what were we talking about?
1: Okay, the so cars. When you see, when you get your story confirmed, you see it, and then right. you say, "See, I was You're right. Shopping. I'm right." So yes. it, it and, confirms, and
0: we think that's reality, mm-hmm. right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, look, when you start shopping for a Honda Accord, are there suddenly more Honda Accords?
1: According everywhere to my experience, <laughs> yes. <laughs> 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 and it drives me crazy. It's like put a break oh on it. Oh my god! Here we okay, go. Give me Here a break. Here we go. Okay, sorry. Let's, let's reverse. Sc- let's screech this yeah.
0: discussion. To let's a reverse um, what I said. And let's.
1: Yeah, but you see yeah. it more often, right?
0: You see what you're shopping for yeah. now. This does not start happening because you're shopping for a car. It's happening all the time. It is a very important insight into the nature of human consciousness. We get out there in the world what we have inside but only every time we're doing it all the time on everything because our brains are wondrous machines and consciously we cannot process every bit of information coming in so our brain has to decide which things do we notice how does it decide Mm. by matching up to what we already believe Mm. we don't know their beliefs we don't know their stories we just think that's reality. And it's not, it's not even possible for us to notice reality or to have a direct experience of reality because it has to come through our five senses. And that is just sensory information. And it goes into our brain, Mm. our flawed, our wondrous and flawed brain. And our brain has to make sense of that information. How does it determine how to make sense? We've already changed it. When we start making things make sense, when our brain starts looking for patterns and starts creating meaning out of the things we observe, we've already twisted it. We've already changed it. Mm. It's not possible to see things as they are. And there are logical, very smart people right now hearing that and going, fuck you, Jerry. Of course I can notice what reality is. No, you can't. You cannot interact with reality as it is. You cannot look at something as it is because you need something essential to look at it. You know what that is? What? A lens. Oh. You can't see things as they are. You have to look through something to see them. Like a monocle? Like even your eye, your cornea and your lens and your retina work together to resolve what is nothing more than photons into something that makes sense. And your brain does the sense-making of it, right? Yeah. I'm, you know. But literally, you, you can't see things as they are. You have to bend that information to make it make sense.
1: So how do you change the lens?
0: Well, you start cleaning it off, if you want to. But the first thing you have to do is confront, no, you are not seeing things as they are. And that's very hard to do when you're inside it. It's very hard to do to see that there's a matrix called depression when you're inside it. And I want to be really clear. I am not talking to you about this from the outside, okay? I don't want this to be a triggering conversation for anyone. So if, if you feel deeply triggered by this and you don't want to hear honest exploration of depression and deeper, darker issues, turn off the show now. Okay. This is your chance. But I am somebody, I'm 44. I was diagnosed with severe depression as a teenager. I tried to kill myself at 15. I did it again as an adult. I'm not somebody that is talking about this academically. I have a very personal direct experience of this. I understand because one of the things about depression is when you're in it, you don't think anybody can understand And it's the first thing that we sometimes as good people try to do when somebody's depressed is tell them, I understand the person hearing that it doesn't land. It doesn't register that way because part of the rules of this trance, the boundaries of this force field called depression are I am alone and nobody understands. And even if they understand, it doesn't fucking matter.
1: Mm, That's a tough place to be. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's also scary to try and communicate it. It's scary because what if, you know, it's hard to articulate, it's hard to be vulnerable. It's, and, and, you know, I know I'm like that. I'm like, I'm going to try to deal with this on my own. But sometimes it's like, you really need someone to help you out of that trance. But who do you contact? Because what if they do say that? What if they do say, oh, I understand. It's like, okay, I can't, talk with this person i gotta
0: go (laughs) yeah yeah it almost feels like an assault when somebody tells you they understand and you're like
1: what do you what do you recommend to say instead
0: well i'm a huge prostitute (laughs) for the autobiographies of comedians it's one of my favorite genres of book to read and to listen to is like comedians write these incredible autobiographies of their experiences and whether you're a fan of her comedy or not Sarah Silverman's autobiography, it's called The Bedwetter, Stories of Courage, Redemption, and (laughs) Peace. Whether you like her or not, she is deeply honest about some really awkward stuff. I was just shaken when I read the book and listened to her own experience of depression. She suffered terrible depression, and it was horribly mishandled and mistreated by her psychiatrists and her family she said something that stuck with me and haunted me. And I thought, Oh my God. And it, it almost makes me want to cry thinking about it now. But she said the only person in her life that did the right thing was her stepfather. And the only thing he asked her was, what does it feel like? He would just hold her. She would sit on his lap and he would hold her and he would ask her, what does it feel like? And Nobody ever asked me that.
1: Mm.
0: (laughs) You know, I was in an institution, I was in a mental hospital for trying to kill myself, and I suffered terrible depression for many years. Nobody ever asked me, What does it feel like? Mm. So, for you to say you understand is one thing, but to try to understand is another. Mm. To really ask, invite me into this world. Because I'll tell you something really honest and uncomfortable for myself is having been there. Having confronted my own death and tried to even engineer it and having been in a deep, dark place for many years, I don't remember my point. (laughs) Um...
1: (laughs) Nobody asked you? Oh, here's what I was going to say.
0: Having been there and knowing how difficult and painful it is, it's still when it comes up for people that I care about, for friends, for clients, I have to fight and I don't always succeed at this. But I have to fight my natural inclination to treat it like a problem and to try to solve the problem right away. Yeah. And this is something that caring, loving people uh-huh. do.
1: I'm guilty of this. I want to help and fix.
0: Oh my God. I want to help and fix. I want to make it go away. I want to make the pain go away. And as somebody who doesn't, even though I have these diagnoses on my permanent record, I don't suffer from the experience of depression. Now, if I went to my doctor and said, hey, doc, Am I still depressed? She would go, Of course you are, idiot. Your brain doesn't make the right amount of chemicals, and you're this and you're that, and blah, blah, blah. And that's a whole thing that we can get into, but I don't have the daily direct experience of it anymore. It's, a, it's a, such a strange thing. It's like my doctor is telling me that this is how my brain is. And that's a trance they're offering me. They're saying, Here are the rules of this thing. And it can feel like relief like, Oh my God, I thought there was something wrong with me. And maybe, maybe there is something wrong with me but my doctor says that it's something that a lot of people have and there's a pill for it. And I've been on the pills. Mm -hmm. So as much as it can feel like there's something wrong, the mainstream medical establishment has offered us a kind of redemption by saying, Hey, this is a medical problem. You can take a treatment for it. We can treat you. You don't have to suffer from this anymore. It's not your fault. And that feels like, it feels terrible to get to that place where you have to confront that and be like, okay, I'm fucked up. But also there's an option. Now, I don't take medication anymore. I haven't taken medication for over a decade. So I want to be clear that for me, medication was not the answer. And psychotherapy was not the answer. It helped manage. And I think that's one of the things that the medical approach, as much as it solves a problem, it, it, it takes away your, some of your shame and some of your responsibility by saying, hey, this is a normal thing millions of people deal with. And there's help. It also had a way of removing our agency. Medicalizing things is an approach that has benefits, but it also has trade-offs. And one of the things the medical establishment offered me about my own depression is, hey, this is a chemical problem with your brain. Mm -hmm. Take this pill.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Come and talk to somebody once a week. And it helped. It helped me manage. And when you're in that dark terrible place fucking take the pill fucking go talk to somebody because when you're in that place it feels hopeless you feel helpless you can't see a way out death doesn't seem that bad and it's not even really death it's almost like just stopping living Mm -hmm. that's what it feels Mm -hmm. like my god take the pill talk to the counselor take the treatment and also i found for myself Ultimately, and it took took a while to get there. Ultimately, continuing to take the pill and continuing to talk about what's wrong did not set me free. But it doesn't matter. If you're caught in the grip of it, do what your doctor tells you. Just get yourself okay. Get yourself to a baseline. Listen to the advice of your doctor. But that doesn't have to be the end.
1: That's great, Jared. And what for you, what helped set you free? Like, 10 years later, you know what I mean? Like, later on when you started to wean off the the medication and and stuff like that, what helped you?
0: Well, I honestly think that becoming a student of human consciousness is what started that. And by the way, depression is not the only diagnosis that was offered to me by my doctor. I was also given a diagnosis of chronic pain, chronic fatigue, migraines, anxiety Mm. disorder. yeah. And for a while, I I tried that. And I I did all the things. I meditated. I read the books. I went to the gurus, you know, tried the supplement, tried that treatment. All of those things amounted to me for, they amounted to management, better management. But I continued to have the problem that needed management. Uh So what set me free, what began to set me free was questioning, Mm. poking holes in the theories that were given to me. Theories like, it's just a problem in your brain. Mm. And I want to talk really briefly about this. And if anybody, if anybody is looking for podcasts right now to listen to, as much as I don't agree with him on everything, and he is a controversial figure, there is a neuroscientist and public figure named Sam Harris. He also publishes what I consider the best meditation course available today. The waking up course. It's not just a guided meditation app. It's also a course. He's a neuroscientist by trade. And so you're also learning about human consciousness while you learn to meditate. And I find great value in that. But also, he has a podcast where he discusses really controversial subjects and really fascinating subjects. And he had a physician on his podcast a few months ago called Sally Mm -hmm. Sattel. She's a psychiatrist and an addiction medicine specialist, works in a methadone clinic. And they had a conversation about addiction that when I heard it, I was like, this is the same thing that's true about depression. And
1: what do we, what do, what's his podcast called?
0: It's called Waking Up. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Don't listen to it if you need to agree with everything you hear, but do listen to it if you're interested in arguing, investigating, thinking for yourself, questioning, if you're that kind of podcast listener, because I like listening to ideas I don't agree with. I'm not invested in making people wrong or right. I'm more invested in like, what do I think about this? What Getting can curious, I learn from this? Yeah. Getting curious. And so in this episode of the podcast, this episode 149, Sally Sattel talks about the medicalization of addiction. And one of the things she says that I find really like provocative and fascinating is they talk about like how drugs, when I was a kid, we had the war on drugs with George Bush Sr. I was just a kid when this happened. And I think they like allocated $8 billion to fight the drug lords in Colombia, And it never really worked. We couldn't really fight drugs in South America because like the movie Traffic is really about how the fact that the war on drugs is a war on ourselves. It's a war on our daughter. It's a war on our teacher. It's a war on our neighbor. These are the people that are on drugs. You can't fight some drug lord in Colombia and not deal with it at home. That's not possible. But that was the frame that they were trying to hold up to use for this thing. And the movie was like, look, it's here. (laughs) It's not. You can't keep it out of America. It's Mm -hmm. here. And people that you know and love are drug addicts. What are you going to do about it? You can't fight it with guns.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. And so she talks in the in the podcast, they talk about how essentially the the medical establishment said, "Hey, let's get this thing out of the criminal justice system. Let's get it out of the courts. get it out of the jails because people are getting jailed for nonviolent drug offenses. Let's get it out of that world and get it into the medical world. We can help. We're the experts. We can treat it so they they talk about how we transition in our culture from this period where drugs went from being a crime to being a disease
1: Mm.
0: like addiction is no longer this thing that makes you criminal now it makes you the sufferer of a diagnosis Mm. and that did wonderful Mm. things that did some amazing things for people dealing with drug Mm -hmm. addiction people Mm -hmm. affected by it either whether you have a diagnosis of drug addiction or you have somebody in your life that does but she said something really fascinating on the podcast and it's this she said look Making addiction a diagnosis, something that is treatable, did a lot of wonderful things. But if drug addiction is a disease, it's the only disease you can cure yourself of because your wife is going to leave you or you're going to lose your job. Mm. Name another disease where you can cure yourself of it because you're going to lose everything.
1: Depression?
0: (laughs) Well, (laughs) you're reading ahead in the show notes.
1: I got caught off guard. I didn't know I was being asked a question. I wasn't I wasn't listening for like 10 minutes.
0: Sorry. I guess the the high-level point is this. When we take things and we make them a diagnosis, is that an incremental improvement over making it a crime? Sure. And is depression as a diagnosis incrementally better than making it something to be ashamed about and not talked about? Oh my God, of course. Mm. But there is also a trade-off. Whatever frame we hold up for something to look at it through. There are rules. There are boundaries. That's why it's called a frame. And the rules of depression as a diagnosis are, you have less agency. You have less power over it because it is a chemical problem in Mm. your brain and you have no power. Oh, that makes sense. Okay.
1: Now I'm getting it. Thank you for putting it into a a (laughs) frame that I understand.
0: Into Sam friendly terms. (laughs) Yeah. It's like. Is that better in some ways? Oh, my God, yes. Because, listen, my mother killed herself of a drug overdose when I was 20 years mm-hmm. old. And what I now know is that she had borderline personality disorder combined with drug addiction. She was trying to self-medicate. And there was terrible shame, terrible shame around her diagnosis. We didn't talk about those mm-hmm. things. Hell, we still don't talk about mental illness yeah. the way we should. So, so being open and yeah. honest about it millennials are often subject to this critique of like oh everybody has depression oh everybody has anxiety well you know what good we're yeah. talking about it it's part of the human yeah.
1: experience de- 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 like the people loving led- it right
0: yeah people uh, you know doing that critique against us are people that wouldn't talk about it if it saved their fucking life I they know. wouldn't talk about it because of the deep amount of shame about mm-hmm. it now that's not healthy yeah. either now have we landed on the solution by talking about it and everybody has it and popping a pill. No, but we're getting there. It's part of our journey. It's part of the experience of dealing with this Mm. as a culture. At least we're talking about it. Yeah. Oh my God. The shame. Mm -hmm. It's not even that we have depression. That's the problem. It's the shame about it. That is the problem. Yeah. You know, you're this positive, happy person that entertains and helps people and is there on the front lines with people that are profoundly disturbed. And your job is to make them feel better for you to have depression and be honest about that. There's a real temptation to be ashamed of it. I'm a coach. I help people. I specialize in helping people resolve trauma. I specialize in helping people emotionally self regulate. For me to experience something like that is a profound invitation. To yeah. Sing
1: about. I, I was trying to, I uh, was in a meditation this morning and I was thinking that I'm working on being more authentic because that's something that you've been coaching yeah. me on is like being authentic with my experience and when I am feeling low. Yeah. Like, how do I, how do I talk about that? But I think that the more I help myself, the more I can help others too. Right. So the more I'm understanding how my brain works and how these trances develop with that, you know, introspection, right? Is that the right word? <laughs> going yeah. Going inward yeah. to discover that for myself and being honest about it. That's a way I can Help others. But at the same time, I don't, I fall into this trap where I don't want to act like I know more than others, though. Cause I definitely know that that's (laughs) not true. Like, I try to also wake up going, I know nothing. (laughs) Like, so I I walk this dance of like, I want to be authentic and real and help others. But also, some, (laughs) I also have to honor that some people don't invite that in their life at that time. And trusting their journey and sometimes, you know, so what's your advice on that, Jer?
0: That is a complex issue. And I appreciate you saying this because it's something I deal with myself all the time. And it's sort of related to that thing where when somebody that you love is hurting, you want to make the pain go away. But if we remember Sarah Silverman's beautiful and powerful admission that the person that started to crack that trance for her was the person who asked her simply. What does it feel yeah. like that we, if we rush to solving it before we really try to understand. Yeah. Uh-huh. And by the way, we do that to ourselves. I do it to myself and I know you do too, sweetheart. It's like, Oh, I feel like crap. I don't want to feel like this. Make it go away. Meditate yeah. on it. Go for a run, you know, do Tap the EFT, yeah. do the thing, do the, this, make, just get it the fuck yeah. out of here. Yeah. And it's a really important thing to confront. Like, Am I trying to make it go away because I don't like it, because it's inconvenient, because it's painful, because it's embarrassing? Or am I holding the space for it? Am I being present for it and trying to hear what it's trying to tell me? What is it trying yeah. to teach me? And am I honoring the experience
1: yeah. of it? Oof. That's tough when you're in it. I mean, it's for me, it's easier yes. to understand that concept when I'm out of it. But when I'm in it, it's yeah, really hard sure. to uh you know hold that pain and hug it and love it and like tr- you know try to yeah. embrace it it's harder for me to grasp that when I'm in it so so yeah, yeah I've been oh my so God, right so now true. dare like you you helped me get out of my funk last week with um what if it was okay? What if what if your pain was okay right. and like versus the I don't want to experience this. Like instead of Pushing it out, I feel like that makes it worse. It makes it bigger to be like, get away. Because it is a part.
0: Because what is it, where does it go if we push it away and push it down? Well,
1: back into our subconscious, right? Or into our unconscious shadow. Into our shadow. And
0: and whatever's in the shadow grows bigger and more powerful than it would be otherwise. And
1: so you what helped me get out of it was when you said, What if, what if? what you were experiencing was okay. And what if your pain, uh, what if you loved it? Like, what if you found a way to like, treat it like your best friend or treat it like, you know, your inner child. And so uh, I, on my chalkboard right now, have written, like I drew a house that that says uh, it's the okay house. And in the house, it's like fear, anxiety, depression, shame, guilt, all of that. That if it's like, what if it's okay? Yeah, I, I've been trying that on for the past week after you told me that. So anytime I feel like guilt or shame, which are big ones, especially because I'm i Ca- i grew up Catholic, emphasis on <laughs> I grew up Catholic. Uh, but
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> second only to the Jews for the guilt award. <laughs> that yes, that what? Yeah, I'm
1: familiar. <laughs> that if I right away when I experience guilt, uh, what if I reframe? And say, it's okay to feel that, that I find that it, it goes away quicker Mm. than trying to force me to not experience it. Then I'm able to like, like picturing, I did a meditation once where it was like, picture your mind is like a glass and like a thought is like a feather brushing the glass on your mind or like your mind is like a river and like any thought is like a leaf going down the river don't attach to the story yeah. of now I need to feel guilt versus like, Oh, I ex- I experienced guilt. Right. Let it, let it go down the river. Uh, and so it's such a practice, right. especially right now of just like non-attachment and uh, yeah, it's, I, it's, it's a lot of work, but I'm, I'm excited about the work. I like the work.
0: That's so beautiful. I mean, what you describe and, and thank you for, for offering me credit for what you really did yourself because what this is really about is not clients want to choke me (laughs) when I talk about this, but I'm not interested in the content of life. I'm interested in the structure that holds the content. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that beautiful metaphor that you use, which is a beautiful mindfulness metaphor is how we tend to experience life. if We haven't investigated this yet. Is we are on that leaf, that leaf called depression, and we are riding down the river. And at any moment, we could be destroyed by it. Mm. That's how we tend to experience our lives. We're going along and everything seems fine. And then depression, problem, anxiety, problem, guilt, problem, shame, problem. And then we build problems about our problems because we shouldn't have those problems. (laughs) Right. And now we're in the business of building this nested, layered, monstrous thing whose job it is to get away from the problem. And if we're in the business of doing that, we have to accept that it is in fact a problem. And now we're hypnotized by that. That's so true.
1: I know. That's usually whenever I call you when I'm, (laughs) when I'm at my rock bottoms, (laughs) I call you and, and (laughs) you always say that to me because I'm always like, I can't believe I'm experiencing this. Like I'm so experiencing. I'm so depressed. I'm so anxious. I'm so this. And you always say to me, "Why is this a problem?" And that wakes right. me up. Of like, it's really I'm feeling more depressed about uh, labeling it as a problem versus like right. <laughs> that's the actual versus problem. like, hey, what if me crying for ten minutes under my sheets is a beautiful, healthy thing? Versus a shameful, terrible thing. Yes.
0: I want to share about that as well. So many people that I care about, clients, friends, family members, colleagues, come to me and offer to me that they cried today or that they cried last weekend or that they are going to cry later. And I don't care if they cried or not. What I'm looking for, because that's the content. What I'm looking for is the structure, the container that holds the content. And I can't tell you how many times and how heartbreaking it is for me to notice that the container they're holding for that is, and it's a problem. I'm crying. I'm such a disaster. I can't believe I'm crying. Why am I crying? Why... It's not that you're crying that's the problem. It's that you're saying it's a problem to cry. Well, that's a
1: cultural problem. Thing, I feel like, and also, and it and, it is, and also, and like maybe you know, I I know you know I was blessed with lovely, beautiful parents. I grew up in a family that loved to kid, like joke around. You know, we're Irish mm. Catholic. We're mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Irish. We're we're either
1: guilty <laughs> or drunk. No, uh, and uh, but we're you know,
0: we're <laughs> drunk, drunk on our guilt or guilty ah. that we're drunk,
1: and <laughs> making jokes about it. But I got um teased a lot for being how sensitive I was so I kind of put a a thing about that in my mind of like that's bad you know of like I'm so sensitive so when I like end up crying or having a day where I'm anxious or um sad or blue or whatever I I go oh I'm sensitive again I'm this is bad this is a problem versus like
0: right doing the work with you and being like
1: why is that a problem Not only does sensitivity, it creates, you know, empathy, it builds that within you. And it's also like being an actor or being a creative person or, you know, so I'm trying to like, look at that as what are the good qualities in it versus rushing right to what are the bad qualities of this that, you
0: know, right. And how do I solve it?
1: It's interesting.
0: Yeah. And that's what we miss. We miss the opportunity to sit with it, be present with it, and hear what it's trying to tell yeah. us if we try to get right to solving yeah. it. Because in order for us to solve a problem, it has to be a what?
1: Oh, God. You keep asking me questions I don't know answers to. <laughs>
0: the answers and the questions, a for Christ's sake. I got it. Right.
1: So <laughs> I don't do well on tests. I got a 960 on my effing SATs, okay? Don't ask me questions.
0: <laughs> well see, this is, this is what I mean, and this is a practical ex- this is a practical example of what these trances are that we live inside of. People come into my office and they say, "I'm in pain, solve it. Help me solve it. Help me get rid of it." And if I indulge that story that it is the state that is the problem, I'm missing. That it's the story, that it's a problem, that is the actual problem, the deep structure. It's not that we're feeling pain. It's not that we're depressed. It's not that we're crying that is the problem. It's the story that we should.
1: Oh, so good. And I will, you know, and that's where work with you is a challenge, a beautiful challenge, because a lot of us are more (laughs) committed to having our... Stories confirmed and validated, right so so yes, yes <laughs> so yes. I will say that when I was feeling sad recently last week, you kept you asked me this question, what are the payoffs so I think that's interesting, <laughs> Jar is that we are getting something out of staying in it,
0: yes, and that is the compassionate truth too, and it is the thing that stands between us and the freedom we say we want. Secondary gain. People come into my office with big problems. Yes, I'm a hypnotist. Yes, I'm a coach. But I don't help people quit smoking or lose weight. I help people solve major life problems. And they often ask me this question, is it going to work? (laughs) And they'll tell me this, and then the next thing they'll say is, they'll tell me how big the problem is. They'll tell me, you don't understand. I've had this chronic pain for my whole life and I've tried every treatment and inside I'm going, oh my God, I'm so excited because I am you. (laughs) I tried every treatment too. Or they'll tell me, you don't get it. I have no power over this situation. This is all my spouse. This is all my, this, this is all my diagnosis. And they'll tell me the size of the problem. Like that's the thing that determines whether it Mm. will work. Like there are some problems that are too big. Yeah, And I'll tell you right now, the thing that I'm listening for is not how big their problem is, because I'll tell you what, I had big problems, problems so big and so medical and so for sure problems, nothing was going to fix them. And as long as I lived in that world that I couldn't be helped, and as long as I was committed more to being right about that, nothing was going to fix them. And it didn't. And it took me to the point of a suicide attempt and deep dark depressions to finally smack my thick headed ass out of it, because I'm stubborn. And I'd rather die <laughs> right
1: than live wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and what this is another that mean? question. Oh, uh well we well, are com- we are we are more committed to being right than free.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> Genius. Brilliant. You just said everything that oh needs gosh. to be said about this. There are people hearing that and are going, fuck you. How dare you say that? How dare you imply that I'm more committed to my pain? Because I'll tell you this, the biggest lies I've ever heard come right after the words. Of course I do. Of course I want to feel better. Of course I want to heal. Of course I want to let go. Of course I want the relationship. Of course I want help. It's a lie. And I know because I told that lie myself. My pain was so bad it drove me to suicide. Of course I want to feel better. No, I was more committed to being Mm. right about it than I was to having freedom from it. That's what I'm listening for when people come in and they tell me, will it work? And if they're more committed to being right about what's possible than they are to the result they say they want, no, it will not work and nothing will ever work. Because what we really want if we're being honest is to keep the problem and keep why do we the do payoffs. stuff like that
1: why do we why do we want to keep the problem well, is it because we're it's it's uh the a new identity you know like I think a, it's a loss of identity it's like, yes it's like we that's all we've yes. known and so who am I without it is scary it's like going outside without your clothes on or, or for you sitting in that chair with those the whities on It's like, it's like we've, we've identified.
0: (laughs) They are red. red, I'll have you know.
1: (laughs) Yikes. Oh, wow. We're having a ball here, folks. Um,
0: Having a cup. Yeah, but
1: why would we be more committed to keeping it?
0: It's such a great question. Now, if you can even get there, you're already ahead of everybody else on planet Earth. Because even to get there, to see beyond the, of course, and glimpse the truth that maybe a part of me is more committed to keeping the problem than to having freedom is huge. Now I'll t- I don't know. Everybody has different reasons, but now here's what I'll tell you about my reasons, okay? For my depression, the reason I wanted to keep it at first is because it validated that I was sane. I grew up in a fucked up home, and I had a very painful childhood, and many of us have. And my depression told me that I was right about yeah. how fucked up it was. And it told me that I was special because I felt something about it. It told me that I wasn't alone, too, because that depression, that darkness, was my only friend. I couldn't count on my mom. I couldn't count on my dad. I couldn't count on grandma, grandpa. I couldn't count on these adults. But I could count on this always Mm. being with me, this darkness. By the way, it's still with me. It's still with me. It didn't go away. But it's not in the driver's seat anymore. Yeah, it's on the bus for sure. And sometimes I will go to the back of the bus and I will sit next to it, but it's Uh, not driving anymore.
1: That's great. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: But it's there. So, you know, I kept it for me. I kept it because it validated everything that I suffered, everything that I lived through the traumas that I survived. The depression reminded me that I survived and I went through this shit And it was fucked up, and it should not have happened. And the depression and everything that I experienced was validated by how I felt about it. And when everybody in the world was telling me to stop feeling this way and get rid of it, and get over it, and trying to get rid of the problem, the depression was the only thing that told me in a little way, it's okay that you feel like this. It's okay. You did go through a fucked up time. Something bad did happen to you. And everybody else in my life is telling me not to feel this, not to, not to, hate know, that. to get, get over it, hate man that. up.
1: That is such a pet pee- and, and you can hear right. it all the time. Like it, parents telling their children, I hear it when I'm walking yes. down the street or I'm at a park or I, you know, I work with kids. So I, I hear it all the time of like, come on, stop feeling sad or go into the right. other room like if you're going to be mad yep. or sad or anything other than joyful.
0: Right. <laughs> you will be acceptable to me. And if you're and not, so we you wonder, wonder why when out. we're
1: adults, there's shame around anything other than joy or happiness is because we've been programmed at a young yes. age that that's not acceptable. Uh, so it's, it yes. can be traumatizing. And so it, it takes a lot of work to, uh, you know, reprogram that those young learnings, you know? And so,
0: yes. And this is something that is really important for us to get. We think we're just living life and this is reality and this is how it is. But the truth is, is that there is a cultural story too. father (laughs) culture has told us these are acceptable. These are not you being pleasant, you being positive, or you expressing your emotions in these or those ways that's acceptable. Everything else is not. And because we're all inside of that cultural story, that cultural trance, we enforce it on each other and ourselves without even really knowing oh, yeah. we're doing that. The other people plugged into the matrix will fight for you to stay in it and not know they're doing it. And what does that sound like as a deep truth? That's uncomfortable. The people that you love will tell you they want you to be happy, but the truth is they want you to be happy in ways that are acceptable and not complicated <laughs> for them.
1: <laughs> That's so true. And like, I think that uh, especially yeah. a lot of comedians experience depression, and I can relate to this a lot, is because at a young age, we've been only validated by being the entertainer, by being the, uh, the wild, the, wacky one, one. the funny one, you know? And so we go yeah. around seeking that yeah. validation. Uh, hey, I've been taught at a young age, yes. if I'm funny, I get a laugh. Oh, that's a coin in the bank or whatever, right? right? And then we don't feel loved in other ways. So, for example, like if I'm sad, I'm not getting the validation that I want. So so it's either suppress yeah. it or hide it yeah. because I'm not going to be loved that way. I get loved with jokes. And I've realized how yeah. fucked up that is and how that can really create depression. And, a, you know, I I discovered like it mainly in my mid twenties, how unhealthy that was. It's been a lot of work. It's taken a lot of work to, to be like, no, you know what? The people that love me the most and the people that I want to invest time in are the ones that love me for all of my sides. Right. Uh,
0: Yes. No matter what, no matter how acceptable or whatever, like, by the way, this is the definition of love I have settled on for the moment is that love is about holding a space for things that you love to be exactly what they are.
1: And, and you, and you told me that the other day is like, I'm more loving when I'm more loving to myself. So, so uh, when I find that like, I'm irritated with people easily when I'm, there's something bothering me about my own shit or my own self. So, so
0: (laughs) yeah it always starts with us yeah so I'm always like oh it's
1: them this person did this this person did that and when I when I catch myself being annoyed with like the external world I'm like okay time to look in and it's always like you taught me the other day it's like find that unconditional love for yourself like love whatever arises and when you do it's like then you can go out and like you find that like hey people aren't as annoying anymore (laughs) (laughs)
0: Right, right. But it starts with us. And the thing that's tricky about this is it flies in the face of everything we've been taught, that there's this real reality out there and there's cause and effect and people are annoying or they're not. People do wrong or they don't. And that we notice that and then we react to that. That's not the truth. It always starts with us. What is the shape of the lens I am using to see the world? And if that lens is covered by the filter we call <laughs> irritation with, yeah. with humans, it's coloring everything we see because that lens, like any lens, is not one way. Information comes in, but it is projected out yeah. too. And so we notice things that are confirming yeah. what we already believe. So rather than looking at that as like, see, I'm right. See, 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 see how fucked up the world is. See how fucked up I am. See how I'll never be able to get better. What if we started to look at that lens? What if we started to look at oh, the yeah. frame oh, yeah. instead of the content? And
1: you, I love, I, I love how you tell me that all the and, time. It's like it's time to clean your lens. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: and look, we got to be honest about it. I wanted to stay depressed. I didn't know it consciously. Of course, I want to get better, but I wanted to stay depressed for a while because it let me know that I was sane. It let me know that yes, it was fucked mm-hmm. up what happened to me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I've been. I'm a victim of sexual assault, molestation, a profound emotional and physical trauma. The depression told me that it was okay, that I was good Mm -hmm. and those things were bad. And that Mm -hmm. let me survive. But most of us arrive at some place in life where we don't have to survive anything anymore, but we're still bringing that same skill set to life. And what we really want is happiness. We really want is freedom, power.
1: And I also like, I I also feel like that, that, Happiness is bullshit too. I feel like it's like it happiness is, is just oh my a God. fleeting emotion, right? That happiness is more about peace, like equanimity, right? Having peace with, yeah. with what comes, like, you know, and, and I don't know. That's what I'm trying to work on because it's yeah. it's it's exhausting if somebody was just like, I'm happy. I'm all, like all the time, like at a level 100, like <laughs> that's BS, right?
0: Yeah. I think that's so brilliant. I have to, I have to take total responsibility for something major that I have fucked up in my What's life that? and my career, and it's about, it's about this word happiness. Because people would come in, and by the way, this is why these lenses, these these frames—not what we're looking at, but how we're looking at it. These—that's why this is so essential. Okay, people came, would come into my office, and have for years, and they've said, "I want to be happy." Of course, we all want that, right? Everybody wants to be happy, but. Their version of happiness, their definition for it was totally yeah. different than mine. And I failed mm. to calibrate that mm. too many times. And the way that a lot of us use happiness reveals everything we need to know about this. The way a lot of us use happiness is people say sometimes, oh, I, w- I just want to be happy. What they really are saying in different languages, I just want to be in a good yeah. mood all the time. That's not happiness, it's there's two kinds there's two levels of happiness if you will indulge this and by the way this is not my idea this is an idea from alan watts
1: what
0: he was a very famous philosopher
1: mm-hmm.
0: yes he was an english he was an english philosopher and student of eastern philosophy and meditation but he also would marry it with western psychology he said in one of his books one of his lesser known books <laughs> by the way listener if you don't know alan watts Go read his book, The Book, On the Taboo Against Knowing Who You Are. Brilliant. And that is the the gateway drug to all of his incredible books. One of his lesser-known books is called The Meaning of Happiness. It's less popular. And in the book, he talks about how there are actually two kinds of happiness. The first is this happiness where you're always in a good mood. (laughs) And he said there's this other kind of happiness – A deeper happiness, a kind of spiritual happiness that comes not from being in a good mood, but from a wholehearted, loving acceptance of life in Mm. all of its aspects, no matter what. No matter what kind of mood it might inspire, this loving acceptance of everything is a welcome visitor. And that's the kind of happiness that I'm after. That's beautiful.
1: And also... I find like, sometimes I get, you've, you've helped me with this. Sometimes I get depressed because I'm putting a judgment on what I should be feeling. So for example, uh, especially in the new year, when everyone like was kind of saying my new year's resolution is to have more joy, more joy, more, more happiness, more elation, all that. And so then when, if I was like maybe in a mood where I was like more somber or whatever, then I was putting a judgment on myself for not experiencing the joy, right. shooting all over myself. Shitting I think I yourself. think uh, a perfect example of this yeah. is that on Christmas Day, I was hungover, <laughs>
0: and <laughs> <laughs> shocker, uh,
1: you know, I was depressed on Christmas Day because I felt like a total asshole that I was hungover and like in a funk on Christmas day. And I was just like tired, kind of cranky, uh, maybe drank too much wine. Then I came to you and had a (laughs) conversation. I said, I'm I'm like a terrible person. I was, I was in a bad mood on Christmas day. (laughs) I'm, I'm going to hell. I'm an asshole. And then you just looked at me and said, (laughs) who says you have to be joyful on Christmas day? (laughs) That it was. And then I was like, Oh, that snapped me out of my funk because yeah. I was putting a judgment on, yeah. I should be joyful and filled with baby Jesus love on Christmas day. And I w- it wasn't. Right. And so then right. you allowing me to experience <laughs> that made me feel more at peace. Yeah, And so we're, we're putting a judgment of on where we think we should be or how we should be acting.
0: Yeah. What we should feel.
1: So it's interesting.
0: Yeah. And that's why I'm so interested in these trances, because every trance has rules. Every force field has a boundary. And the boundary is, oh, no, no, no. You can't feel that way. I need to be in the trance called joy. And that means I can't be in a bad mood. I can't be cranky. I can't upset anybody. I can't have my emotions be inconvenient. And the whole world will argue for you to feel the way that they want you to feel. So and they also, can this okay. is
1: another thing that you always tell me is that Sam, you're you're running your life based off your emotions, so sometimes our emotions can...
0: Yeah, that's something important, too, that we can distinguish together is like, look, I'm not arguing that your emotions are not powerful, important, and sacred. They absolutely are. But we are in a cultural story, a cultural trance about them, that they are critical and true and you must listen to them at all costs and listen to your heart and all this kind of stuff that's in (laughs) Hallmark cards and in, you know, lifetime movies. Look, emotions are deeply essential to the human experience, but we have misunderstood them. They cannot tell us the truth. That's not possible. Emotions only arise in response to thoughts, (laughs) but only every time. But what we'll do is we'll feel, and like I said, I'm saying this as a person who has deep personal experience, many years of experience being caught in these trances. When I feel depressed, I don't even recognize it's an emotion. What I recognize inside of that trance is this is a sign that I'm fucked up, that the world is fucked up, that nothing matters. And the emotion confirms the story. But our emotions cannot tell us the truth. They are a reaction to the stories that we believe. It's why, you want to hear evidence for this? Monday, you feel amazing. You feel great. You're on top of the world. Tuesday, you wake up, you feel like shit. You feel terrible. Nothing's right. Everything's horrible. Nothing changed. Materially, the conditions of your life Mm -hmm. did not change from Monday to Tuesday and you can feel and experience totally different aspects of life with no real change, no change in reality, that means it's not possible for your emotions to arise in response to what's real. They only arise in response to the stories that we're telling, Mm. the stories that we believe. And it's like you said, that beautiful metaphor about consciousness, just notice the leaf floating by on the river. You don't have to hop on that leaf and ride on it.
1: Just leave it alone. And
0: invest. Just leave it alone. Just let it blow away. <laughs> I'm not as good at these puns as you Thanks are. Thanks
1: for so. going out on a limb. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> but like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, we'll leave that alone for the moment. But I just want to say that it's not that we have thoughts that's the problem. Because that's another thing is, you know, I'm a mindfulness coach. People come to me and they'll say, I can't meditate. I can't get my mind to quiet. It's the frame that makes that question or that statement possible that tells me, oh, they believe that the point of meditation is to quiet their mind and that they're not meditating if they can't have a quiet mind. And what I say to them is, what if you just noticed that your mind wasn't quiet? Hmm. Because it's that noticing part of you that is the real you. That's the house. That is your actual life. And in that house, you have a depression room. And you have a joy room and you have a funny entertaining room and And you you have have a a by yourself and you have a dark basement. Maybe it's musty (laughs) and maybe it needs to be cleaned out. Maybe it's wearing red underwear that (laughs) have not been washed in two days, but make your life big enough to contain whatever experience arises for you and paint the walls of that house with love (laughs) Build love around whatever you experience.
1: I'm about to uh, paint the walls of a toilet. So um, are we, uh, (laughs) I think on that lovely note of uh, paint, you know, paint that house of love, whatever it is. I think, I think, can we end there, Jer?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I think uh, that's the perfect, sweet, spiritual. Great. I got to go change my diva cup. So,
1: um.
0: (laughs) My Devo cup is overflowing. This was great,
1: Jared. It was awesome talking with you. I I you love too, our conversations and I love you as a friend. You've you've definitely changed my life. And I tell people oh. that always. And
0: I know, and I'm sitting here as somebody that knows, you've changed your life. And I've just been your Morpheus <laughs> offering you the opportunity to unplug yourself. And and sometimes, look, I need my own coach. I need my own Morpheus too. Sometimes we're all going to go into those yeah. rooms. Yeah.
1: We can make we can a metamorphosis make whenever we want. <laughs> and uh, thanks for putting me on the pill, Jerry. It's really important at this time.
0: <laughs> My pleasure. Anything I can do. I love and adore you too, listeners. I love and adore you also. Thank you for being patient with us. I promise I'll be better about getting these podcast episodes up. And and listener, if you need yes, me, you are not out.
1: alone. Okay, it's um. You sometimes feel alone in the experience, but I'm here to tell you as someone that experiences it all, you are not. And we are here and love you and you are special and you matter and it's okay. And just being is beautiful.
0: Yes. And if you can't see your way out of that, reach out to me, quantumtransformation.co. And you can find me on
1: Instagram at girls underscore don't underscore fart. And you know, like let's chat. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and you can talk about girl farts
1: <laughs> <laughs> which i'm doing right now uh
0: because sometimes a fart joke is really the only thing that's universally true about people
1: who doesn't love when a good fart joke farts. i mean come on
0: i know i know oh, people with class and grace but
1: we're not talking about
0: we're not talking we know they're that. not
1: listening so uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the great talk jare love you too thank
0: you sweetheart i love you
1: i love you too dear you so much. I, 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 I love you oh. <laughs> sexy beast oh my god where's
0: my bandana so i can look like a convict like my father said <laughs> <laughs> jesus
1: christ you look like a fucking convict <laughs>